0: Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hey, everyone, we are back with another episode, and today we're going to be looking at a handful of headlines that we found over the past couple weeks, which all tackle the same topic, and that is the epidemic of loneliness. Now, we talked about these loneliness headlines when we discussed how Meta was being sued, by 41 different states, and we decided that this topic really needs its own episode. Loneliness and isolation are at record high levels across the globe. It's just a very big topic right now.
1: Yeah, it's a really big issue right now, and here are just a few of the headlines that we have found within just a 24-hour period over the past few weeks as we prepped for this episode. Loneliness can be deadly. Just one visit a month with family and friends can help reduce the risk. Everybody has experienced loneliness. U.S. Surgeon General talks mental health with ASU students. Sex therapist Dr. Ruth Westheimer appointed New York State's first loneliness ambassador. America is getting lonelier and more indoorsy. That's not a coincidence. WHO launches the first global initiative to tackle the epidemic of loneliness with U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy as co-chair. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at all of these articles through a biblical worldview to help us discern, obviously, the problem, and that is loneliness. And then we're going to look at all of the potential solutions. Why? Because every worldview, not just the biblical worldview, all worldviews identify problems, and they also create solutions. But sometimes, actually most times, those solutions are not helpful for anybody. A secular worldview will produce secular solutions. These are especially unhelpful for Christians. One example, for instance, is New York's solution, which is to hire a sex therapist as an expert ambassador to the loneliness and isolation problem. What kind of worldview do you think a sex therapist is going to have? How do you think she's going to interpret, define, and respond to the question, how shall I live? Yeah, this is a really
0: poignant question, and this actually happened. I didn't think it was true at first, but Governor Kathy, I believe it's pronounced Hockle of New York, appointed Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who is a psychosexual therapist with over 37 authored books, as the first loneliness and isolation ambassador. And in case you didn't know, she's 95 years old, which is also very interesting. Now, Greg Olson, who is New York State's director of the Office of Aging, said, "Quote." For decades, the public has turned to Dr. Ruth Westheimer as an authority with wide-reaching influence who spoke to us eloquently and candidly about issues that are fundamental to who we are and how we interact with another in a complex world. Well, multiple articles that have covered her appointment noted that the ambassador, which is this role that she's gonna be filling, will be dealing more specifically with adults over the age of 45 but the state of New York recognizes that loneliness and isolation are pervasive within multiple age groups. Now, often we talk about the loneliness epidemic manifesting in young people, but this is a great point to make. The elderly are gravely impacted as well. Without a doubt, the elderly are some of the most vulnerable in society. And of course, this is why biblically, the church is charged to take care of these most vulnerable. James one twenty seven says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Well, God has always known, right, how debilitating loneliness and isolation are for individuals. As we covered the last time in, in the Genesis 2 account, God saw that it was not good for a man to be alone, and therefore he created a suitable helper, a complementary human for companionship. I think overall the question I hope everyone is asking Especially when we look at a headline like this through a biblical worldview, is if Dr. Ruth sees any additional benefit from companionship other than sex, right? Having arrived firmly in her mid 90s, has that evolved her priority in life? Or is sex going to be the only cure for loneliness that she suggests?
1: Another solution that I saw was posted by The Guardian, and they said that in the northern city of Sweden, they've initiated a say hello campaign. In order to reconnect its citizens during the winter months, which we already know is more lonely and just more dark, and it's just hard to go through the winter sometimes. Well, they stated that the recent research found that among 16 to 29-year-olds, 45% were experiencing problems associated with loneliness, so their solution is to convince everyone to say hello to one another. Unfortunately, I don't know if that's going to help anymore, Kel, because so many people walk around with airpods in we don't even want to acknowledge each other when we are out in public it's true i mean i do think that greeting each other is it's a noble effort i mean it's
0: absolutely that type of connection can provide positive good feelings into someone's day but again we're yeah we're expecting them to number 1 get out number 2 say hello and then also you know to do that engaging more than even just hello so yes noble effort but nonetheless because we know through scripture that loneliness is not good Nor what God intended. We don't necessarily need loneliness research and statistics to motivate us to become more involved in each other's lives. However, there are empirical and conclusive evidences that God's word has been correct from the beginning. Listen to this social isolation increases the risk of dementia by 50%, and the risk of stroke or cardiovascular disease increases by 30%. In one study, it was determined that the consequences of loneliness are equal to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. So in light of what we know through God's created order, and now what we sort of just learned through this empirical research, we really shouldn't be surprised that the loneliness epidemic has caught the attention of so many people in the public square. And rightfully so. It's a deep-rooted problem that needs to be solved.
1: Kelly, I really want to touch on what you just said about the empirical data. Now, this is the observation of the data of reality, right? It's the numbers of proof that isolation is absolutely not what God intended. However, and this is really important to understand and to teach our kids to understand, a worldview isn't just like observing the data and then making conclusions. It's also about interpreting and responding to that data Our worldview is the filter that we see the world through, but it also encompasses our emotions and our intellect and our spirituality. Now, the government often tries to operate either like empirically or maybe like you could say pragmatically. They're not necessarily emotionally or spiritually driven. So you could say that their framework is already lacking and will likely fail for many individuals because they're not taking a holistic view of man.
0: Absolutely. We're very much of a science-driven type of society. And so a lot of times we just want to look at science and stats and make our decisions on that. But yes, there is so much more, which we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But here are a few more examples, though, of some proposed solutions to the loneliness epidemic. Another member of the government taking interest in solving the epidemic is Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut. Now, he is introducing legislation to create an Office of Social Connection Policy. And it it will be through this office that national guidelines on improving social connections
1: would be implemented throughout the country. Kelly, did you say national guidelines to improve social connections? Is that like, is that what you just said? National guidelines on improving social connections. Wow. Government guidelines to improve relationships. I'm sorry, but this is not a matter of international diplomacy. This is about intimate, caring, and devoted relationships between two or more humans. Can our government actually bring about improvement on this micro level? Could they actually do that? I mean, that's the question. It sounds really good,
0: right? When you just read it, like, oh, the government cares. They care about us. But that's, that is the exact question, Chelsea, is can they do this on this micro level? Can they force us to socialize more? Well, they are trying for what it's worth, Right. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has also made loneliness a priority as well. Earlier this year, you may remember, he had said that the number one problem among young people is social media. And he said this, quote, I firmly believe that the youth mental health crisis is the defining public challenge of our time, Murthy said. He goes on to say, quote, we've got to do everything as a society to not only give young people access to treatment and to the resources, but also to get at the root causes of what's driving this mental health crisis in the
1: first place. So recently, Murthy has actually been on a tour. It's called the We Are Made to Connect tour. And he's stopping in colleges and universities and other venues along his route. And he's discussing this epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And he says that the purpose of the tour is to meet people where they're at and openly discuss the problem of loneliness that so many young people are facing. And I commend him for that, for getting out there and talking to these young people and trying to get at these root causes. Now, at Arizona State University, there was a survey that was put out before Murthy arrived. And 80% of the students at ASU reported that they have been unable to form meaningful relationships. 80% of the students, you guys. That number is absolutely tragic, and it really should make all of us wonder, what is causing such a debilitating loss of basic human connection?
0: Yeah, I think I have a few ideas, but alas, let's stick to what our government has to say because they, they definitely think they've got it figured out. Let's look specifically at their solutions. To begin addressing the epidemic of loneliness, the Department of Health and Human Services has created a 60 plus page advisory on loneliness and isolation. And in this advisory, there are six pillars Meant to address this very complicated issue. Now, as I list these six pillars, I want you to listen closely and try to discern a practical application or even a practical meaning of what this is going to look like. Okay, the first pillar is to strengthen social connections locally. The second is to create policies with a pro connection approach. The third is to mobilize the health sector. The fourth pillar, is to reform the digital landscape. Number five is to expand research and deepen our knowledge. And the sixth pillar is to increase conversations about connection in public spaces like work and school. Now personally, I don't know what they mean by any of that except for reform the digital landscape. Right? Maybe it's because of my worldview. That that seems like a tangible thing that I could put some suggestions to on how they could fix that. Honestly, how would they actually strengthen connections locally? Like, are they sponsoring like local bingo nights for the elderly? Or are they offering like incentives for Gen Z to like go out to local parks without their smartphones? Because I really honestly am curious because I agree it does need to happen. However, my concern is that it's just not possible because if you take those two pillars side by side, reforming the digital landscape and strengthening social connections in the community, what that would entail is no more delivery grocery orders you know, to your home, no more buying online and picking up in the store or curbside, or maybe even like no more Amazon, no more food deliveries or streaming movies. Think about what keeps us inside. Think about what keeps us from engaging the way we used to say 20 years ago. All of the things that media and technology have allowed for us, to now stay at home and no longer get out into our community. We just don't run into people anymore. We aren't leaving our homes or sometimes not even leaving our cars, right? So it's gonna take a lot, I think an almost insurmountable volume of change to steer society off of the course that we are already on.
1: And I think that's it. That's just it right there, Kelly. It's gonna take a lot of change if we're gonna get back into our communities and then strengthen our relationships there. And let's be honest, This is something that Christians should really be praying about. Is the amount of online services and the conveniences that you've allowed in your life, are they keeping you maybe from the social connections you could be making outside of those conveniences? Not just for your own well-being, but for the gospel as well. We maybe shouldn't be using all of these technological conveniences without critically thinking about What's being lost? We have to count the costs before we engage in a lot of these conveniences. Yeah, I mean,
0: you and I would both agree that we do engage in a lot of them. I think we're just suggesting that if we really do wanna get back into strengthening those local community connections, it will take some humble, I think, look at how we engage with media and technology. Well, nonetheless, so those were the pillars. That's the framework or the worldview That is being described here by the government to solve the problem at hand. And we should note that one of the news headlines that we read back in the beginning was about the World Health Organization. They too have launched a global initiative to tackle the epidemic of loneliness. And that our US Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, is the co chair. So not only is he working with the Department of Health and Human Services to solve the US loneliness epidemic, but also the global crisis as a whole. So here we are, each of us, right? We can all, we're listening, we're recognizing isolation and loneliness are a big problem. Perhaps altruistically, these policymakers truly, truly wanna help. And I think that that's commendable, but we have to look at their solutions through a biblical worldview. Their foundation is not the authoritative word of God and the sources they develop their solutions from are not sufficient like God's word is the pillars that they are erecting to solve the problem are built upon the authority of government, right? The Savior here is not Jesus. Rather, the Savior is the government. And to bolster this point, here are some of the debates that sort of it out in media to persuade Christians who really aren't sure maybe what their worldview is, or they aren't sure you know, if scripture really is sufficient for all of life and godliness and what the government says sounds really good. So Listen to this quote. This is from Vanity Fair magazine and the article is titled Chris Murphy wants to make America a little less lonely. Now Chris Murphy if you remember is the senator from Connecticut who wants to create the the policy change. And this Vanity Fair magazine is from December 2023, January 24, and the article is written by Eric Lutz. So Eric Lutz says halfway through the article and he's interviewing Murphy, he says, "Quote, Murphy, Has just co written an op ed with philosopher Ian Marcus Corbin, who has become a friend of his, calling for a spiritual renaissance in America, particularly on the left. I was curious as to whether he was religious. He isn't exactly. Murthy has been part of youth ministry as a high schooler, but as an adult, he still isn't quite sure what he believes. For the last six months, though, he has been attending church regularly again still quoting Eric Letts from the Vanity Fair article. He goes on to say he's enjoyed getting back into the rituals. Murphy says, quote, I forgot how comforting they are, he told me. But more importantly, he believes that houses of worship could play a crucial role in strengthening community bonds and the common good. Quote, all of our temples, social media, consumerism, and a me first individualism are just telling you to be you. End quote. Now, I don't know if you caught that in there, but right in the middle of that, the author of the article says that Murphy believes that houses of worship could play a crucial role in strengthening community bonds and the common good. Now, aside from the fact that we should definitely be cautious anytime we hear of a politician writing an op-ed with a philosopher about creating a spiritual renaissance on the left, we should be a little cautious about that. But I'm just going to set that aside. this is ultimately, this is what he's talking about of bringing the church in. This isn't a transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they're referring to, right? Because much of the American church has caved to a culture um, of progressive beliefs, of pluralism. So what they're really calling like a spiritual renaissance could actually be like just Marxism for all we know. And so what they call for the church to be, or these, quote, houses of worship to play a crucial role.
1: We need a lot more defining here. Wow. That is the classic bait and switch. I'm kind of curious. I wonder if Chris Murphy, just because he works in the government, if he's going to become the expert ambassador on all things religion and how they're going to tie into this loneliness epidemic. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm I'm just really sitting and marinating on that quote because it's just very uncomfortable. They dangle the bait out there like, look. We think the church has a crucial role to play. That's the bait, right? But the switch, or we could say the hook that's behind the bait, it leads us to believe in two and ultimately trust the government to take care of the problem because, see, they're going to include the church. We're going to be included in, in this cure for the loneliness epidemic. What we see, unfortunately, is a response to the problem, and that's a response of policy. Unfortunately, the language of their pillars, as you read, Kelly, they're really vague and they're really unhelpful and it's pretty much nebulous and it means nothing to anyone, at least for right now. And at least for me, it's creating more questions rather than offering solutions or even solving problems. Now, I, like you, I love the idea of reforming the digital landscape. And as I think about it, I kind of wonder, does that mean it's going to be, you know, social media is going to be completely inaccessible to teenagers or does that mean We're just going to be creating more digital spaces of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. This is exactly it. We have all these questions. We're kind of
0: circling back around because their solutions just create more questions. Like, what on earth does this look like?
1: So when we read articles like these, I want to know, like, how does the author or someone like Dr. Murthy define the word social? Because I think that's part of the root problem. What we've learned over the course of many years through media is that they are Changing terms and changing definitions. And so the idea of social has been changing over the course of a few years since social media. And I think that term social is overly inclusive and it includes so many different concepts that everything going forward from their use of that word is almost unhelpful if we cannot agree or even understand each other's definitions. So, based on this curiosity, Regarding Murthy's advisory, I kind of wanted to know how social was being defined by him. Now, interestingly enough, within the advisory, there is a glossary of terms. And I'm going to read all of the ones related to the word "social," and it has a lot of terms, unfortunately. So if you zone me out for a hot second, I'm not offended. OK? Here we go. Social capital, social cohesion, social connectedness, social connection, social disconnection, social infrastructure, social isolation. Social negativity, social networks, social norms, social participation, social support. That's a lot of social. Now, these social definitions could very well include online social spaces. And we all know that socializing in online networks is not actually truly being social. But why do we know that? Why do we all know that that is not truly being social? Because we were created by God With an understanding of what it means to be social. And this is the face to face, life on life connections. But not only that, the solution to loneliness isn't just to be more social or to socialize more. If socializing through social media platforms was the answer, well, then we would not be in the problem that we are in. We certainly would not have this big of a problem on our hands. Loneliness is also a worldview problem, which It's why I almost kind of had to laugh when I saw that NPR article last week that was titled Feeling Lonely? Your brain may be processing the world differently because yes, it's true, but it's not just about your brain. And as we've said, it's so much about the heart and the mind and the emotions that is processing the world all together to create a worldview. Yeah, I agree. If we get right at the root of the problem,
0: it is worldview. I think the low-hanging fruit of the loneliness epidemic is social media and tech conveniences, especially for us, because that's often our focus. It's really easy to say, it's these items right here, and if we just fix this, then we're gonna fix everything. That's not necessarily the case. It's super easy to call those things out, but what's the root? What is, where is the motivation of one's heart and mind? Well, the worldview. The worldview is the lens with which you view the world. It is the foundation that every idea and every behavior stands on. Now, I want to hash this out a little bit more because I truly believe we're not going to get anywhere telling you to you know, decrease your tech conveniences and, and help your kids be on less tech. And that's going to solve the problem because it's not. It really is about worldview. Now, the biblical worldview informs us of how God created mankind to live in relationships. And as we've said before, the language is quite clear in Genesis 2 and throughout the breadth of Scripture. The biblical worldview also informs us that there is one God who created the earth, and His Son, Jesus Christ, came to live and die for our sins, so that everyone who believes in Him shall have eternal life. This is what we as Christians believe is the absolute truth. We also believe that Scripture, all of it, is absolute truth. And Scripture recognizes that every person is made in the image of God and worthy of dignity. And Scripture defines for us what is good for mankind. Prescribes a moral and ethical goodness that applies to all people everywhere at all times. This is the biblical worldview. And holding these beliefs makes Christian believers what they would call absolutists. And those who are absolutists, by definition, are are not relativists. We don't think everything is relative to who we are or where we're growing up. And we're not subjectivists. We're not, you know, just everything is just subjective knowledge. A relativist might attest that Jesus is the Son of God, but at the same time, they believe that Jesus isn't the only way to obtain eternal life. A subjectivist believes that all truth is just subjective, right? And basically, there's no one who knows any absolute truth. And this is really important to our conversation because the relativists and the subjectivists have their own personal worldview based on their own truth. This is what we hear all the time now in culture is whose truth, my own truth, my personal truth, all that. When individuals get to define their own truth, what they say is morally and ethically right, um, and what is wrong, uh, what is a man, what is a woman. And then when you combine all of those sort of moral and ethical decisions with self-love, self-help, self-care, all those mantras out there, where everyone who disagrees with you is labeled toxic and should just be cut out of your life, what's left, right? Think about this. When you believe your own truth and you've cut out everyone else who disagrees with you, what is left? Nothing. No one. You're, you're alone. What is left is you standing alone with your own personal worldview, your own ideas, your own beliefs, your own truth. It's just you and yourself. No one else. Like this is loneliness. This is isolation. You've isolated yourself from the rest of the world who doesn't believe what you believe or who doesn't
1: think like you think. I think this is an extremely important distinction for everyone to grasp. It's not that Christians, that is absolutists, who believe in the word of God is absolute truth. It's not as if they will never experience loneliness or isolation. I mean, we still can, but there is camaraderie and there is community in the church. We do not always agree on everything because that's kind of impossible, but we agree on the core fundamental truths, the realities, and the connection that we have with one another through the living and active word of God. And that is irreplaceable. That connection bonds us together with other people no matter what age, what gender, what ethnicity, or socioeconomic class. But for the relativists whose truths change based on circumstances or experiences, It can be very lonely when there isn't a ready and waiting community to embrace you. And we aren't saying that all of those who have a relativistic worldview are lonely. There are undoubtedly many who have found community in a family. But what we are saying is that what worldview you have and live by absolutely matters. The lens with which you view and see the world matters a tremendous amount when you're trying to connect and form close relationships. and yes. We are saying that the church is part of the solution for loneliness and isolation, but the church cannot be the whole solution because the absolute truth and the absolute faith in Jesus Christ is also needed. It's not just about showing up on Sunday to check in, you know, check a box and hoping to feel less lonely Monday through Saturday. The church is the solution because it is in the business of transforming lives from the inside out. And that transformation does not come without belief in the absolute truth of the Holy Scriptures, every single last word of it, all of it. And the government will not and cannot tell you this. Politicians are relativists. Some perhaps are absolutists in their personal lives, but in the public square, they are absolutely going to change their beliefs and their truth based on the needs or the votes. So when senators talk about houses of worship playing a key role, We can read news like that, and we can recognize that, yes, the gospel is the answer, not just any house of worship, but the church that is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and the absolute truth of the gospel. 100%, Chelsea.
0: I'm really glad that we stopped and clarified a lot of those points. Hopefully, you didn't get lost in some of those words and definitions, and maybe you need to rewind and re-listen, because it really is important, especially as we're parenting, as we're raising our kids. When we talk about worldview being important for how our kids interpret and see the world, this is a very clear distinction that can be made that can help them be less lonely, less isolated as they grow up. But let's go back to the government advisory real quick, by the way. That's remember the one with the very fluff language that we don't know what it means and the the six pillars. I'd like to give a couple more examples of their proposed solutions. It says this, each of us can start now in our own lives, by strengthening our connections and relationships. Our individual relationships are an untapped resource, a source of healing hiding in plain sight. They can help us live healthier, more productive, and more fulfilled lives. Answer that phone call from a friend. Make time to share a meal. Listen without the distraction of your phone. Perform an act of service. Express yourself authentically.
1: Well, some of these are practical and some of them are just out of touch with reality. So the first practical advice that they think they're offering to you is to answer a call from a friend. Well, that's pretty much out of touch with reality because no one calls each other anymore. They text each other. And teens don't text each other, they snap. So instead of saying, answer the phone call that you are supposedly getting, they could have said, agree with a friend to have a phone conversation instead of texting through the day. Or call your mom. Your mom always wants to answer your call. (laughs) Or call another family member, right? Ultimately, stop texting as much. And even then, how will this government recommendation be monitored for future success? Next, the advisory offers make time to share a meal. Let me just be super blunt here, folks. We have the time. We say we don't have the time, but we absolutely have the time to share a meal together. But we choose to eat alone. We choose to stare at our phones instead. Put down your phone, turn off Netflix, unschedule your evening activities, and eat a meal at the same time around the table as a family. Then they pause it, listen without distraction. Okay, we I think I can agree with this one, Kelly. I think you could too. This is actually a good start. Yeah. But just to clarify it a bit more, I think we would say take out your AirPods put your phone face down, utilize the focus features of your phone so you can't be notified, and actually engage when you're in face-to-face interactions. Now the advisory does go on to say this. The advisory presents a framework for a national strategy with specific recommendations for the institutions that shape our day-to-day lives, governments, healthcare systems, and insurers, public health departments, research institutions, philanthropy, schools, workplaces, community-based organizations, technology companies, and the media.
0: What in the world? They talk about specific recommendations. Those are not specific. Like, what are, what are they saying with all those institutions?
1: What are they? What's their strategy? I don't. That's a really good question. I don't. That's well, let's take notice of the word framework. OK, that should be like a red flag on the play the word framework. They said that the advisory presents a framework for a national strategy. Well, a framework is always, let me be clear, always connected to a foundation, and a foundation is what we also call a worldview. So knowing that within the government's framework, the advisory is going to make recommendations to institutions that are both governmentally run and independently owned, that sounds really chaotic, to be quite honest talk about creating more questions rather than solving problems right now. I mean, what does that mean? Well, it means that maybe those recommendations will be used in public schools or in government run spaces, but in other privately owned businesses and organizations, especially media and tech companies, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Remember, these are recommendations, so there is a choice, right? So do you think a recommendation like You know, social media should not be allowed by anyone under 18. Do you think that's actually going to be adopted by Meta? Do you think that they're going to annihilate their bottom line? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And the bottom line really is now
0: that the government does not have the answers to the problem of loneliness and isolation. I hope by now, at least reviewing this advisory, you've kind of come to see that. But it's not just the government, there are other mental health institutions and agencies. Lots of people who are out there now proposing solutions as well. And what we have found is a lot of them are focusing on maybe tracking your emotions and your thought patterns, socializing more. These these things are not wrong at all. They, they can definitely help. But again, the proposed solutions look at only one specific aspect of what forms a worldview. So it's not just emotions. It's not just the statistical data that we can prove that it it's harmful, it's so much more, right? It's all of that. It's the mind, it's the heart, it's the spirit, it's the intellect, it's all of these together.
1: So we would like to offer our first really quick, easy to digest introductory set of solutions for you that are going to be coming from a biblical worldview. Yeah, that's right. The first solution is to go to church and get involved. Now, the government is definitely not going to recommend that to you, but We can recommend that to you. So if you claim Christ as Savior, then you are commanded to go to church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The truth is some of us are in the habit of neglecting the command to meet together. And we all have a different kind of excuse, right? Maybe you're in the habit of watching it online, even though you absolutely could go back to church, or maybe you're in the habit of allowing a child's sports game to keep you away. But whatever the habit is, we truly hope that you kick it to the curb and you get back into the body of Christ. Yeah, that really is key. And the second
0: solution that we would like to offer is to begin improving social connectedness in your family. Right. It's very easy to give a nebulous, just get more connected socially. But we're talking about in your immediate family, the context who lives in your inside your home. God's word says in Romans 12 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. All of the recommendations and solutions presented by the policymakers will overlook one glaringly obvious issue, and that is our heart. All of this socializing and connection begins in our heart with our motivations to be devoted to one another you must love one another right and you want you must l- want to outdo one another in showing honor if that's going to be us then we need to be thinking about that in the context of our home with our kids or with any you know our parents or whoever else depending on what age you are that you're listening to there is no better place to do this than with your family so parents honor your kids and prioritize family meals together Husbands and wives, outdo one another in love and model affection for your children. Don't let everyone just go into their individual bedrooms and isolate. It may seem really awkward to get into those like family games. Everybody get a, you know, we're going to play something. We're going to watch something together. Even if you're watching something together, just being together. And yes, you might have to force it. That is the first positive step towards connectedness. And the third solution is to prioritize and schedule relational time outside of the home. Now, let's be honest, we are all busy people, and that's not always a bad thing, right? We could be very fruitful and productive. So it's not about guilt or shame that you're busy, that you can't necessarily connect, but it is about when we try and just muscle through our packed schedules and we forget to be relational, and then we wonder why we're feeling lonely or why we are edgy with our emotions because we haven't been able to connect with anybody. So this week, maybe you can schedule a coffee date. Just stop putting it off. You know you have that friend that every time you see each other, you're like, oh, let's grab coffee or someone let's have lunch. Schedule it. Let's get it on the calendar. Or maybe you offer to host a brunch with a group of friends, invite them to your home, get together with a few families or another couple, go to a movie, go visit a neighbor maybe who maybe had to go to a nursing home or your great aunt who lives 20 minutes away, but you always just forget about her and don't go visit, right? You're going to continue to make excuse after excuse if you let your flesh win over, because this is just what happens in our busy lives. So I'm going to challenge you to make it a priority. Reach out to someone and make that social connection, kind of schedule it, make an appointment, but whatever it is, prioritize being with other people. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's hopefully what Chelsea and I, our goal was with this episode is really just to spur you on, especially with these suggestions, towards love and good deeds.
1: I love these solutions. I could be biased, but I think they're pretty fantastic. Go to church, relate better and intentionally with your family, and then prioritize and schedule relational time outside of the home. We focused a lot on worldview and the framework that makes up a worldview this week, because this is a topic that requires we view it through the lens of scripture. Otherwise, the secular, the postmodern, the progressive worldview are all going to be accepted uncritically, like without thinking. Because as we've said a hundred times on this podcast, worldviews are caught. They're not taught. So if you haven't taught yourself how to view issues or cultural issues through the lens of unchanging truth, now is the time, and it is also the time to teach it to your children. Yeah, at the end of the day, we can read a ton of articles on loneliness
0: and isolation, but God's word will be the only thing that truly speaks a better word over our lives. It will always be a better solution, and it will always be founded on the solid, unwavering foundation of Jesus Christ, and we must trust it. It must have authority over our lives. Otherwise, we turn to these so-called experts like sex therapists or government politicians who neglect the imago Dei, right? The image of God, they overlook the heart, they reject Christ, and ultimately, as we have seen, they give us more questions and cause more harm rather than producing actual solutions,
1: The problem of isolation and loneliness is a problem that's in our hearts. It is a problem of sin and of selfishness. And the fuel on this fire is the faux connectivity that our online lives bring. Mm -hmm. Friends, there is no better news than that God has made a way to have personal and intimate relationship with you through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life that restores the fundamental relationships that guide all others. The only solution is the gospel. So let us go and live out the gospel bravely and boldly with intentional relationships with those around us who do not know Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen, amen.
0: Well, thank you all so much for listening, friends. Um, We pray that you benefited from this content, that you gained some insight, that you understand a little bit better how to view some of these news headlines about isolation and loneliness through the biblical lens. If you love the podcast, we would love a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Starting in the beginning of 2024, we will be discussing artificial intelligence and all that that entails. So you don't want to miss an episode. Stay tuned for that. And until next week, y'all go be in relationships and go be brave. We'll see you next time.